Shane Kilkelly. I'm Kyle Thompson. And you're listening to General Intellect Unit. And this time we're going to read um, an article uh, from August of this year uh, titled Post Open Source by Melody Horn. Um, and we're, we're kind of going to use it as a jumping off point to uh, just kind of talk around this, um, I guess, put, putting the gravestone on free and open source software once and for all, because it's, mm-hmm. it's all over, folks. Time to pack up our shit and go home. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's we're rolling out of Saigon. <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I believe that uh, Melody refers in this article as uh, open source now being a lich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's about right. It's it's like it's it's like it's uh, undeath. It you know it's dead, but it still moves <laughs> uh, yeah. because you know obviously open source development is going to keep going, uh, and people are going to be using it because we use it in like a billion things everywhere. Um, but as an ideology. Mm-hmm. I believe it is indeed dead. As like a as like a community driven thing. I, like up yes. at the top of the article, there's a quote from um, uh, Kat Marchand uh, that, um, in my opinion, open source as a community endeavor is falling apart right before our eyes and being replaced by open source as big corp entrenchment strategy. Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, so uh, yeah, the, the community angle of it is pretty much gone. Um, yes, and uh, I, I like so uh, right at the top of the article as well. The author says that like. Uh, she's writing this in the the wake of the the Mozilla layoffs, right in in August of this year, um, where the the gist. So maybe for the listeners who aren't completely up on this sort of stuff, Mozilla is the uh, nonprofit that like backs the Firefox browser, the development and stuff, and the marketing of that. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is, they get uh, pretty much ninety percent of their revenue comes from a deal with Google to be the default search engine in a lot of territories. Um, which kind of means that, like, you know, like the, the the donations and stuff that they get, and like whatever minor services they sell, really don't pay for very much. It's all um, it's all on Google's purse strings, which Google knows. They know that they have the power in this relationship. So um, this year, like, there was a ten year deal for that um, that like search engine placement thing, and then that expires or was due to expire later this year. Google weren't renewing it. And then Mozilla did a big round of layoffs to lay off a lot of the engineering staff, a lot of the community sort of things. Like, so Mozilla have, had also maintained uh, Mozilla Developer Network, which is like basically the web, the documentation for the web, like for JavaScript and HTML and CSS and all that kind of thing. That team is gone. Um, the the Servo team who were building out new web technologies, they're all gone. A uh, whole bunch of fucking stuff. Just, 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 just a massacre, basically. Um, and then... Pretty soon after the announcement of these layoffs, Google, I think, said they were like, oh, we're, we are going to renew the deal after all, but probably on very different terms. And the tone has been set, you know, like Google knows they can do this. They can just dangle or they, could, they can cease to dangle the carrot for a little while to get their way. Um, and it's, it's, I don't know, like Mozilla, Firefox and so on, still ticking along now, but it's, it's, it's hard to miss the, the feeling in the air that it's it's kind of over basically as a um, as a major concern. Specifically, Servo was uh, laying the groundwork for the next uh, like period of Firefox. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, it was um, it was going to be the technical foundations for uh, like a massively revamped um, attempt at a browser stack. Uh, but uh, that's that's been hamstrung. And, you know? and 
that was built on top of Rust, right? Yeah. So like Rust, Rust was a Mozilla project originally, basically. Yes. They've incubated yes. it for a long time. Um, thankfully, they've now like kind of confirmed that they're spinning it out into its own foundation and so on. But like, it, yeah, just just a wild couple of days with that announcement, and like people really speculating, like, geez, is this is this is this the end of like Rust as a major thing as well? And thankfully not. But you know, it gives you some indication of the scale of this this kind of problem, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely, and. You know, I'm still using Firefox on my PC because it's such the browser space is such a desert, you know, of just like extremely low uh, diversity and uh, and and not necessarily quality, but <laughs> well, it's kind of like you can have it in any color you want as long as it's black, right? You can Pretty have it in much. any any browser you want as long as it's Chrome. Um, yeah, because, like, Chrome is the only... Well, I mean... Yeah, so you, you have the WebKit engine, which is then the basis for Blink, which is the thing that's in Chrome now, but it's basically... We all we just call it WebKit. Um, and that's that's it. Like, there's, there's Gecko, the stuff that's run by Firefox, and then there's... Um, there's WebKit, or Blink, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Even Even Microsoft has replaced... Internet Explorer with the the new the new version of Edge is going to drop their their own rendering engine. The Trinity engine is gone, and simply replaced by Chrome. Right, basically, like it's it's Chrome but with a different paint job. Um, which means that like web standards and that kind of like the open ecosystem of the web through the '90s and the 2000s and so on is is it's over. That that's gone because there there's only really one implementation that's viable anymore. And there's there's another implementation which is steadily losing ground, uh, like, but also losing ground through a deliberate strategy on the part of the uh, on the part of the first party, right? To uh, to deliberately undermine that other thing. Um, so it's it's a monoculture aside from Firefox, and Firefox is kind of slipping towards uh, its uh, its grave, which is very well with yeah. you know it's it's a, it's important that Servo has been killed because. Um, Without Servo, we cannot expect that that Mozilla standard will continue to exist into the future. It's, it's, it's certainly easy to predict that they will also go to a WebKit Chrome-based solution. They'll have just to. Like micro, just like Microsoft did, because they have no future. You know, they've killed their future. This is like their, their System 4 is just like self-annihilated. Absolutely, you know? yeah. There's there's no possibility really for uh, for the long term development. They're gonna they're gonna have to rebase onto some sort of like a basically rebranded uh, Chrome, right? Like um, and like the, the reason for all the, like again, I have to be kind of aware that like a lot of listeners won't necessarily be up on web fucking psycho stuff like uh, like we are, but um, uh, like implementing a web browser is now basically impossible unless you have like nation state level funding or you're Google. Um, because the standards are so huge and there's so many decades of crap to keep on top of. Um, like, browsers have this unfortunate kind of constraint where they have to keep basically everything working, including all the, all the weird bugs and fuck-ups from 1997. They have to still render. Um, so it's, it's just an, an impossible task. And it means that if, if you are a... I guess that this is very similar to, like, the Ashby's Law of Requisite Variety thing, where the 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 agent that has the the largest available 
pool of resources and the largest repertoire to draw from will tend to win out. Um, and I've, I've seen it said by kind of former Mozilla people that this kind of thing was going on where Google were kind of deliberately calling the pace of the engagement and deliberately kind of dictating what would happen so as to like advantage themselves and disadvantage um, others. So like, it means that like, if you can, if, if Google can simultaneously push for new standards to be introduced and they can also have a team on staff that can like implement them very quickly and they know that everyone else can't implement them as quickly, it's very easy to say which, see which way the slope goes there. It goes towards Google's favor. It's exactly uh, what we're going to see when we do eventually cover Boyd, right? Like this, this is the this is like Boydian military doctrine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is the Uda yeah. loop, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And like for maybe a tiny summary of that is that like if you're because it's this military engagement sort of thing where you need to be acting fast enough um, that you can overwhelm the opponent, but also disrupt their ability to act. So you, you, you speed yourself up and slow them down simultaneously, if you can. Um, and it's a tried and tested strategy, and it seems to actually work. Um, so, But th that's also... Um, it's so characteristic of what's possible in, like, capitalist firms, right? Where this, like, this concentration of power and the concentration of capital accumulation tends to run away with itself. Like, a very, a very slight advantage initially tends to snowball into a, into a larger and larger advantage. Oh, definitely. Um, and, you know, again, need to emphasize that Mozilla has been effectively a subsidiary of Google all this time. <laughs> They've been on the payroll, you know? Y yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the person who pays the bills calls the shots, right? Uh, and... It's so just to kind of get into the, the broader significance of this, like, yes, you know, as, as a sort of end user, it is annoying that we are going to be forced into a monoculture and, you know, the, the things I've relied on Firefox for for years, I feel much less confident in. Um, that's all that's all rough, but. Uh, I think the thing that actually just kind of hits you in the gut more is that Mozilla has represented the kind of like kinder, friendlier version of Silicon Valley capitalism up until this point uh, in the sense that like you know, they talk a lot about ethical standards. They are uh, a free software company, right? And uh, they, despite continually losing market share to uh, Google and only really being able to survive thanks to Google funding and the, you know, the, the legacy code that they, they possess because of coming out of Netscape, um, they were still, you know, a relevant player and they were doing things like Rust, right? You know, uh, projects like Rust that have gone on to form like quite a, a positive community by all accounts. Um, and when you just see like, you know, the capitalist boot coming down and just just crushing that space 
of uh, <laughs> idealism. Oh, no. Uh, with 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 like almost like you know just like flicking a flea or something off of you, like just like oh yeah, I'm done with you now. Uh, it is it 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 is crushing uh, because it's, it's it means like. The dream is really dead now, folks. Like, this is not in any way a viable route forward for positive technical development. Uh, you know, te uh, technical development outside of capitalist standards of production. It's uh, it, it's not coming back. The genie isn't going back in the bottle here. Um, yeah, like, I, uh, until this happens, like, I, I think we've, we've talked before on the show about, like... Um, the various uh, ways in which um, you know, like the, the the free software or like the the free software position had been steadily losing ground, um, and so on. But like, it didn't really sink in for me entirely until this event that like Mozilla was kind of the last of of any of that kind of like positive um, freedom software sort of stuff, you know and. With, with with that one kind of gone, I just kind of like think to myself like, there, there's nothing else. Like there's there's nobody else waving that banner anymore. And I right, could, I like, kind of like suddenly think to myself, huh? I'm not sure I want to stay in tech. <laughs> like with, with in this and like, but how weird is it that it was hanging on by that tiny thread? Um, yeah, there was a there. It had a really outsized ideological effect just by existing. Uh, you know, like something like uh, Red Hat and Fedora, it's like, well, Fedora is not a thing that your average user would ever interact with in a mm. million years. Nor should you know? they. And I run Fedora. Yeah, and they yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it's like th this is a very niche thing for technicians and engineers. You know, it's it's not it's not software for the people in any way right like um so yeah it, it it really it really did have an outsized uh ideological uh influence and uh like it was really quite crushing and it's it's really shocking to me as well that i just i managed to bracket the obvious mm -hmm. in my mind for such <laughs> oh, yeah. a long time that totally. like oh yeah well i mean this is just this is just a PR front being run by Google. Like it's not even, it's not even hard to put together. Like the money is coming directly from Google and everyone knows it. And everyone's just like, oh yeah, but you know, they're keeping it around because like, it's good to have a diverse ecosystem and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but you, you know, Occam's razor would kind of dictate a different <laughs> conclusion here, right? Yeah. Well, maybe maybe it was useful, but up to a point, right? That like um, that that utility is always going to be marginal and sort of comparative, right? Like there's because there's even greater utility to being dispensed with all of that shit and just like ruling with an iron fist if you can get away with it. And when when you're not doing that, it says that you can't get away with it yet. But when you when you can start getting away with it, then it's like mm, yeah, maybe drop start dropping the pretenses. So like yeah, Mozilla has been like the Terminator with its face on, and Google is the Terminator with its face off. Um, and yeah, I think we're seeing this we're seeing the slippage certainly. Um, 
Google Google are more brazen now about this sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're not worried about uh, antitrust in this because they would have they would have done something different if they were like it would have it would have been if they were still really concerned about antitrust here they would have just uh, kept kept Firefox going because it, it's like literally no threat to them mm-hmm. whatsoever to have it exist. Well, I mean, it's maybe it's also kind of important that um, as far as I understand, they did eventually come through on sort of at least saying they, they would re- renew the deal, um, which means that they will keep, Mozilla will hang on, but it'll be even more hamstrung than ever before. So... I think they could still use it as a defense against antitrust, you know what I mean? Which is, it's like... That's true, that's like, true. It's, it's, that that in itself would be an, ex, uh, an excellent, like, four-dimensional chess sort of move, right? Of, like, effectively neuter the oppos- opposition, but domesticate them, like, so that they're, like... Well, you know, more than they were already domesticated, right? Um, but, like, where they definitely won't pose a threat going forward... Boss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're absolutely supine to the point that they're because they have no future, right? So there's there's no way that they could even conceivably uh, pose a threat to Google. It's it's like in uh, you know state socialist countries where they keep the legacy capitalist parties around. Like, uh, <laughs> like, like uh, you know, there's like five or six other political parties that participate in elections, but it's it's like literally impossible for them to ever win. <laughs> uh, yep, just keep them around for show. Um, uh, yeah, uh, or or like you know, this is less of a, less of a direct analogy, but something like the Green Party in the U.S., right? Like, like, which is not a perfect analogy because in the state socialist case, it's like no, like. There's, there's like a, the, these, uh, uh, parties are being kept around at the communist party's beck and call, right? <laughs> like, is, is uh, there also like a kind of analogy, perhaps, I don't know, maybe it's stretching it a bit, but like the kind of, um, what happened with kind of Euro communism and stuff where they, they sort of became these like captured opposition sort of social Democrat parties or like they're. Like they put up a show op- a show opposition to the system, but are really fully integrated into it. And then when, like, say, you know, May sixty eight comes around, they're like, "Oh no, no, we we're not interested in you know letting Algeria go. No, fuck that. We're we're keeping it." You know, um, they're they're very much the lapdogs of the system, but like as a kind of internal opposition, like a fake, like a like a fake red team or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. That was specifically like prior to Euro communism, which is like <laughs> the final capitulation. Right. But, um, but yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, those parties were fa- fa- uh, funded by Moscow. But if you think about the sort of world system as a whole, Moscow's primary interest was to cause just enough, just enough bother to be geopolitically effective while not actually rocking the boat. Right. But I think also that those um, those parties, maybe the unifying threat here is that like they, they, they soak up opposition into a fairly ineffective form where, you know, if, if you're, if you're somebody who whatever, you know, cares about uh, software freedom and that sort of stuff, you can kind of still be on the payroll of Google effectively, but make a show of, of the opposition. And like, maybe I should clarify as well. Like I don't, I don't blame many of the, individual people involved in this sort of stuff and like I, I wish this was otherwise I strongly wish this wasn't happening but you know like a, a fair assessment maybe you know is, is warranted <laughs> yeah no absolutely like I I don't uh 
I don't bear <laughs> ill will towards the people who have been developing this software I've been using for years and years and years and years and paid nothing for. Uh, like, no, I mean, of course. Uh, it's... Uh, they've done good work. Uh, but uh, it seems to have been brutally mismanaged more so like more so than misdeveloped because um, like th- there's a split between the Mozilla maybe this is all stuff that's like relevant for future organizing stuff right where Mozilla there's the Mozilla like um, organization and then there's like the Mozilla Corporation which is like a, a more serious entity that's dedicated to like the fire the development of Firefox but if you go to the Mozilla website and you make a donation that goes to the non-profit not to the development and you know like a lot of people have said this like it seems to be really badly mismanaged and seems to kind of be a jobs program for NGO dickheads really um mm-hmm. and that the money doesn't mm-hmm. actually go to the development at all so like you know go, going around doing a lot of raising awareness yada yada that kind of usual NGO stuff but for for web tech or whatever it's like yeah, it, it's turn, the, turns it's out to have very little utility of any kind you know <laughs> It's it's all PR, right? Yeah, which is yeah. it's laundering the fucking reputation of Silicon Valley. Whereas, like the the engineers that are actually working on Firefox, like I I, I would believe that they care about like actually concretely making this stuff good. But um, you know, if you're interested in picking up a six figure fucking check to go to seminars and stuff and to like put out cool blog posts, it's it's the it's the NGO part of Mozilla that you're going to go to. Right. Mm. Right. Um, <laughs> very disappointing. Um, so, okay, yeah. so yeah, that's that's kind of the situation with with uh, Firefox and with Mozilla. Uh, uh, it's a very dismal picture, and honestly, like I I still feel like I'm in I'm in the bargaining stage of grief. You know, like I I can't quite delete it off of my devices. <laughs> I just like I can't bring myself to do it. No. But um, uh, we need to talk more broadly about like what the implications are uh, for quote unquote free and open source software. Um, which um, which this article gets more into, right? Like um, the because the, the assessment is basically that like you know we, we use the ter- we use the term FOSS F O S S for like free and open source software, uh, but the whole thing's a fucking joke basically by this point because um, the the two sides of it free software and open source software are quite different. Um, initially, you had like the free free software movement, which emphasized like the the freedom to run any program uh, for any purpose, the freedom to study how the program works and make your own changes, the freedom to redistribute those changes and so on. Um, which is very like you know freedom for programmers, right? But it, it was it was fairly concrete, but also sort of you know who gives a shit, right? Like it's it's poli- as as they put it in the article, um, it's explicitly political, but the politics suck. <laughs> which I think is uh, there's a lot of really scathing burns in this in this article. It's wonderful. It says uh, it's concise, it's understandable, and it's kind of useless. Um, like. As you said, it, it is uh, a, a political program for software engineers. Mm-hmm. The worst kind of people. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, the, you know, the only freedom that really affects the end user is the um, run the program for any purpose and redistribute and make copies like those two kind of have some value for the end user, but uh, it's it's much more significant to the end user 
that the software quality is good and that it is free as a beer, mm-hmm. right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's usually not good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost always free, but it's, it's rarely actually any good. Um, like nobody uses nobody uses GIMP by choice, you know. If if they could use Photoshop, they would more or less. I mean, to be fair, recording this on Audacity uh, right now as we speak, and we've recorded every we GIU episode in our history on Audacity. We have. So you yeah. know, there there the, the 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 quality, it's 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 usually like good in very narrow and specific ways. Is I guess how I would describe free software like it's it's usually quite good in in some ways and then uh very uh limited in others Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like i've I've been using audacity for jesus it must be nearly 20 years now um and it's it's been consistently awful but consistently available for all those 20 years i'm like holy shit this is this is great but like i think it's maybe telling that our our usage of audacity by now is like launch the program and then hit the red button (laughs) that's the only feature we ever use but like yeah it's it's like it's it's kind of hard to like i don't know yeah i I definitely don't want to be tough on like the people involved in this sort of stuff but like I think the, the the point that the article is trying to get to is that like pitching this stuff as like oh it's 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 a it's a sort of ethical freedom that software engineers can live with but is somewhat indifferent to the quality or like the sort of way that it impacts end users is not the best pitch in the world um the 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 benefits to the end user are kind of like knock-on effects of what is really a political program for coders for software engineers absolutely um they get into a pretty interesting uh section on the the way this thing kind of died out and it was basically um the, the, the GPL license version 3 seems to have been what killed it. So a lot of this stuff is basically about licensing, right? That like um, the free software movement you, it, it tended to use this li- uh, license called the GNU Public License, uh, short, uh, shortened to GPL. And that license has a particular trick to it where it's basically contagious. That if, uh, if I release some software to you under the GPL and you use it, that's fine. Um, if you ever make a modification to it that is useful, you have to also publish your modification. So there's a contagion. You can't you can't just like take a lump of code and modify it for private use. You have to actually publish it again, um, which is pretty sweet. Uh, but the GPL version two had quite a few holes in it. Um, some things that were hard to anticipate, like some of them only became obvious with with later use. Um, there was an attempt to rectify this with GPL version 3, which tied up a lot of the holes. But then a lot of the big projects that were free, so- free software projects, such as Linux, the GNU tools, and the, C- the GNU C compiler and so on, they didn't adopt version 3. They were like, no, fuck that, we're sticking with version 2. Um, uh, is that right? Because Linux definitely did not adopt version 3, but I think the GNU, tool, GNU tools did adopt version 3. And this is what caused the growth of open source, right? Yeah. So there's there's a kind of interesting thing there where, like, um, the example that's used here is Apple, right? That, like, because, like, on, on Mac OS, they've shipped um, Bash and these sorts of programs for quite a while. But anyone who's used a Mac for development will probably have run across this problem where the version of Bash that's on there hasn't been updated in about 15 years. And it's because of the GPL version 3. Where, like, so the, 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 G, the GPL folks were, like, pushing for, like, oh, we're, 
we're basically going to go after them, right? Like we're going to we're going to be more litigious about policing the enforcement of these licenses, and we're going to make the license more restrictive. But Apple and these kind of folks could just go, nah, we're just we're just not going to not going to use it anymore, right? Because they they could always do something else. And what Apple did was they poured money into. Uh, at, at what was at the time an upstart uh, compiler project called LLVM, um, which, you know, because they poured money into it, got to be probably, you know, quite a bit better than the GNU C compiler, um, and at, at least as good in all the metrics anyone cares about. But like, nowadays, all of the stuff on a Mac is compiled with LLVM, and it doesn't touch GCC at all. And they've replaced um, the, the new default shell on on the Mac is not Bash, it's ZSH, which is under a friendlier license. So this this strategy didn't work. And it, it like one of the biggest users of, G, of the GPL stuff just didn't adopt it. And all of the other big users that were corporate users, they just routed around it because of course they would. Like, how, how would you expect it to turn out differently, you know? Um, right, because uh, the GPL as a political movement or free software as a political movement and GPL as its as its instantiation is an, is a movement for coders' uh, political rights, and it kind of relies on the solidarity of software engineers in defending their rights, right? Like if 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 they want to, you know, leaving aside the fact that. The only way to enforce GPL is is actually to go through the courts, and then so that involves the legal system, <laughs> which which is like, well, you need lawyers, you need money. Uh, te- turns out these these tech companies are actually way better endowed in those ways. Uh, but it like that fucking scene in The Simpsons where like Mr. Burns just has this like closet full of fucking lawyers or whatever, and he just pushes a button and they all come out, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, and. And uh, uh, the other thing is, like, coders did not line up in solidarity with the GPL3. You know, they they were like, uh, no, actually, I'd like to have a job. And uh, these, these uh, firms that are promoting open source uh, will hire me. Uh, and I, I will, I will actually be able to live. Uh, so th- this idea of basically like coders going on strike to protect their political rights uh, via the GPL three did not uh, did not work. Um, wait, wait, wait. Are you, are you telling me that like a, a strike wave that doesn't have mass support and doesn't have the sustained support of the majority of workers in that sector won't become like a general strike and won't actually challenge power? Jeez, I wonder if there's anyone that could have told anyone about all that kind of shit before any of this. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it, is it was never it was never framed as a labor issue in this way. Which is a huge problem because it so clearly is. Like looking back on all this, this is all labor and production stuff, folks. You know, mm-hmm. like it was always framed as uh, in a very like liberal uh, individualist uh, standpoint. Like, oh, as an individual hacker, I deserve these rights, and they are like. It's like guild stuff, right? It's like... Yeah, it's exactly guild stuff. It's like they 
they are protections of my artisanal rights as an individual and like kind of like our rights as a guild as an aggregate but it didn't even like amount to uh like craft union consciousness no didn't even hit that fucking barrier like it was like the the idea of the collective was much more nebulous and it was kind of like uh it's the sort of thing, the sort of collectivity that is referred to uh, when people in Silicon Valley or elsewhere uh, refer to, quote unquote, technical people uh, like, oh, we are technical people. Uh, we're not normies. Right. Uh, but it's it's highly individualized. Right. Like and um, even that. Yeah. The, the ways in which it did sort of touch on labor stuff was very individual. It was like because um, like a fairly. A fairly common refrain was like, um, oh, as, as an individual techie, I prefer to work at companies that use open source software and say open source languages and so on, because I want to preserve, like I want to develop skills that will still be useful outside that company. So like, this is why so, so many techies would really balk at the thought of going to work for a company that either used a proprietary language or like a weird closed source database or something because then their skills wouldn't actually be transferable they wouldn't be useful for another job and it's kind of like it's why it's why like this sort of microsoft stack the the like windows and net stuff kind of generally lost out in the cloud computing realm because people wanted to use python and shit because it would be useful to them later like you know once once you leave the because like this i guess it's also that like labor thing of like going from maybe an earlier sort of like late 20th century era where you had probably, you know, something closer to job for life sort of stuff. Um, you know, if, if you started working for IBM at a certain point, it was pretty much guaranteed that they'd bury you at some, at some point quite a bit later. But then yeah. you, go into the new era, <laughs> you go into the new era and it's like, nah, you're, you're kind of doing fairly, you know, precarious gigs for maybe a couple of years at a time. And either you're either getting fucking liquidated or or the gig goes nowhere and you kind of need to move but like this it's 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 a very different way of working and so yeah it was it was it was framed about sort of like quote unquote human human capital development yes absolutely which is very like a it's it's like in retrospect what that actually added up to like that that was the motivation for a lot of the techies involved right like and fuck it it was my motivation you know it's like you know i, I don't want i don't want to work on some dumb closed closed fucking ecosystem i want to work on something that could get me the next job right but what that really amounts to is a commons of capital like it's it's a capitalist commons that's being it's uh, that's being cultivated it's 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 the the various capitals involved like the various firms lowering their own costs by externalizing all this stuff so that they don't have to train engineers in whatever weirdo language they use. They just get a Python guy, <laughs> you know? Training's already done. You don't have to fucking do anything. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about open source. Uh, so, uh, you know, this section opens up here uh, with the mission of the open source initiative, which is open source enables a development method for software that harnesses the power of distributed peer review and transparency of process. The promise of open source is higher quality, better reliability, greater flexibility, lower cost, 
and an end to predatory vendor lock-in. That fucking voice. (laughs) 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 So, says, uh, this is so profoundly different from the free software definition that it's almost comical. Uh, Where free software says, we value freedom, which we define in these ways. Open source says, your code will get better. The free software movement was prepared to start fights with corporations that used their work but didn't play by their rules. The open source movement was invented to be a friendly, apolitical, pro-corporate alternative to the free software movement. Uh, And the contrast between use free software because it preserves your freedom and use open source software because it's better is profound and honestly a little disappointing to revisit this explicitly. So, and this is something I heard a lot from coders is like, you know, uh, when they would argue for uh, the use of open source over free software is uh, like, I'm interested in the quality of the code. Like I'm interested in producing the best product that I possibly can and open source is what's going to let that happen. Um, and, you know, this kind of like pride in the quality of the work, like that's not toxic. Like, you know, it's good to be proud of what you make. Uh, but this kind of like art artisan sort of artisan ethos of like, well, you know, I don't care about labor issues, but I do care about the quality of the product is really playing into the capitalist hands. Absolutely. It's like that guy from Eliza, <laughs> right? The the fucking the Oracle. Oh yeah. Guy, you know? Oh yeah. Oh just, yeah. Doesn't no. wanna doesn't wanna put up with these snowflakes, just wanna get the job done. You know, we're down there in the trenches, that sort of thing. Um I think the the, the point it, it's 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 it really is remarkable going right back to that in the the mission of the open source initiative, right? Because like the things that jump out at me now are the, the power of peer review, distributed peer review, and transparency of process. It's very like what capital does with academia, right? Like it's kind of like um, har- harvesting, like maybe it's one of these four cheaps, right? It's harvesting these kind of raw materials that are worked up by a distributed social process. Um, and it's it, a lot of this is like various capitals like externalizing, not externalizing, but like sharing their costs of development like it's it's reducing duplication of work because um actually no fuck it this this is this is this is all coming back to me now like it's been it's been so explicit all along that it's kind of it's almost hard to kind of look back on it all but like um like i used to work at a a place it was one of my first programming jobs actually it was like a windows.net sort of fucking shop or whatever and like it was a lot of that kind of horrible stuff and one of the things i noticed with like a lot of those small like that the city I was in had this like cluster of these like small dot net shops, right? Like they were all like maybe twenty people at the most. Um, they were all doing all this like bespoke development for like oil companies and stuff. But what was kind of interesting about that was that they all seemed to have reinvented their own web stack internally. There was a lot of du- it was obvious duplication of effort, and like on. Uh, as this, as a, like the, as is typical for these sorts of things, as like a side hobby, I was getting into like Python and Ruby and uh, Rails and all this kind of stuff. And what was obvious about that open source ecosystem was that it was really cutting down on duplication of effort. That there was there was no point in reinventing your own web stack in ten or fifteen different places. You should just all use the same one that's developed in common. And like, 
yeah, that's that's just capital having its own commons. That's what that's what that fucking is. <laughs> How did I not see it? <laughs> well, the end of this section here uh, says it well. Where free software is misguided and quixotic, open source is spineless and centrist. And as tends to happen with spineless centrism, it has eaten the world. Oh Jesus! It's 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 Blairism in fucking binary form. <laughs> <sighs> Exhausting. Uh, <laughs> uh, so starts the next section of winning. Uh, if there's anything corporations love more than rewriting software, so it lets them make all the money they can dream of, it's letting other people do that work for them. Uh, it took a while to take off because the conservative approach of keep things closed source was pretty solidly entrenched in a lot of places. Uh, you know, this is like the Balmer, what did he say? Linux is communism or some nonsense? I think he said like open source is a cancer or Linux is a cancer or something. Uh, open source is a cancer. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Is Balmer dead now? Probably not. No. I don't think so. I think he's like a sports team owner, right? Uh, this, this ethos was pretty solidly entrenched in a lot of places, but now even the once conservative holdouts have accepted the gospel of centrism. Corporations have little to nothing to lose by publishing existing source code and can gain all sorts of unpaid volunteer labor. And, you know, on top of that, what you were describing, Shane, which is the the quote, the, like the volunteer labor of other corporations uh, paying into the commons, essentially. Right. Uh, there's a, there's synergies there. Uh If they start a new internal project, important enough that they're prepared to put effort into it, but not so important that someone could run off with it and compete with them, then now they'll likely open source it. Worst case scenario, they do all the work they were already prepared to do. Best case scenario, their library turns into the single most popular library of its type, with thousands of unpaid volunteers donating their time to you. More labor for free, community goodwill for having started the project everybody uses. The benefits, if it goes well, are countless. Free software is not, in principle, anti-corporate, but corporations are very cautious getting caught up in the free software movement because that actually creates obligations for them. Open source gives corporations a shot at improving their code for free so long as they don't share so much someone could start a competitor. So there's zero reason for a corporation to not get into open source. And like, again, as as it mentions, there were many corporations that despite this obvious logic refused to go open source. And and so uh, there was a kind of like heroic period of open source, which was fighting, you know, shop by shop <laughs> for uh, open source freedoms. Street by street, like, you know. Yeah, no, no, really, like, really, it was, it was, it was people in, like, engineers inside these firms that would argue on a personal basis for the use of open source and try to introduce it wherever they could, right? Uh, You know, ultimately, this was a self-defeating effort. But as you were saying, Shane, there was a logic to it at the individual level in terms of being able to develop uh, personal skills that would be transferable to other jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's really sinking in for me how much even this was based in precarity, right? That like, 
Because, I mean, like, we... Uh, software engineer is usually pretty damn well paid. But, you know, since the dot-com crash, it's still been a pretty precarious sort of industry as well, right? Like, and you can see that anxiety shining through with these kinds of, like, individual motivations to keep keep yourself on your toes and stuff. You've got to always be, always be keeping up with stuff. Which then feeds back into this thing of, like, um, as, as noted in the article, that... Um, you know, if a if a company like Facebook publishes one of its big projects, like React, the the, the like web rendering library for JavaScript, um, you know, worst case it fucking goes nowhere. Who gives a shit, right? They can still use it internally. Um, best case scenario, which is actually what happened, is it it becomes the way to do rendering, right, in JavaScript. And now you've got basically every single new developer, everyone who's fucking sick of slumming it out at Starbucks and wants to like teach themselves how to code. Every goddamn one of them is learning that library. And that means that, you know, Facebook's hiring pipeline is easy because everyone knows the fucking internal tools already. They don't have to train anyone. And it also means that everyone's desperate to please them out the gate. Everyone's desperate to be like, oh, no, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll learn all this shit on my own time. I'll, I'll fucking I'll rise and grind every day of the week if it means getting a getting a sweet crumb, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... So they 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 uh, go on to say uh, the best part for corporations is they don't even have to be the ones to start a project. If you're just some random small time developer, they can just show up. Uh, you made a cool database server that's under an open source license. Amazon's selling it as a service now, and they're not paying you a fucking dime. You want to change your license to stop them from doing that? Now the open source people are yelling at you because when they say they're apolitical, they mean they support the status quo. And the free software people are also yelling at you because you didn't do it their way with their license. You did it a different way with a different license. And that goes against Amazon's freedom to screw you over. Oh, yeah. This one, this one really resonates because th this has been a slap fight in the last year with, um, I, think, I think it's specifically like, is it Redis or was it one of these other like big, like hugely successful open source database things where they had to kind of relicense it to forbid, um, you know, like selling the hosting basically. Cause like this, this is exactly what happens is that Amazon comes along and goes, okay, we can, we can slap this thing on a server and charge you fucking, you know, 20, 20 bucks a gigabyte to st stick your data into it. And like the original author won't get a damn thing. But then this, this, this later part of the paragraph also happened where, they were kind of fucked regardless because like if you try to relicense to prevent that from happening somebody gets mad at you and if you do the other thing somebody gets mad at you as well it's fucking crazy yeah uh it's an unproductive political system except for amazon <laughs> except for the people who profit uh yeah. so uh, that gives one example uh github itself is arguably the epitome of the open source movement the platform itself is closed source because they don't want people to compete with them running their code. And they and also they sell the very expensive self-hosted version to corporations. Opening up the source for GitHub itself would take a chunk out of GitHub's profits. Can't have that. But they don't even need to start or adopt an open source component to profit off other people's labor. Literally every project on GitHub makes GitHub more valuable. Popular projects get people in. Network effects bring their colleagues in. And then when it's time for something that you'd rather have closed source, you and everyone else are already on GitHub, so you might as well spring for the paid tier. 
If they believed open source was in principle better, they'd be open source themselves. They believe open source is profitable for them, and corporate profit is by definition value generated by labor, but not paid to the laborer. Uh, you know, this is, uh, that's a, that's a bit of a gloss. It's not a technically a Marxist, uh, a corrected <laughs> Marxist political economy, but you get the point, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, yeah. And then goes on to sort of mention that exactly what you were saying, Shane, like what's good for corporations is of course bad for people. Uh, the individual contributors don't get paid, uh, and uh, they, the, the, the main maintainers are sort of like under the control of uh, corporations, like they're, they're paid staff, right? Uh, and then the, the fact that the, the professional uh, core maintainers are paid staff to work on the project actually raises the bar for uh, independent maintainers, uh, which like increases the pace of work and leads to burnout. Yeah, yeah, right. Your your own folks are able to keep up with it, but everyone else, right, they're gonna be they're gonna be pushed to the margin by the accelerated pace. Um another aspect of this that just kind of occurred to me was um the way that you get like in the name of like open source collaboration, you get collaboration across capitals. So like the the React core team at Facebook will 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 talk to the Google Chrome rendering people to work out performance stuff and like, you know, help them to optimize the internals of the, of their, of their engine. Right. And, and vice versa. And, you know, similarly, they'll, you know, have teams talk to people at whatever database company and stuff like that. And like, it's, it's, it's fucking strange, right? Like there's just like, it, it, the, the term that keeps coming back again and again is capitalist commons. Like it is, it is a commons that is tended by workers in these firms for the benefit of the capitals, right? Um, wild stuff, you know? Um, I think there's also, like, a kind of... Um, with the... When this open source stuff interfaces with um, kind of more precarious labor and people who aren't, like, steadily employed at these massive companies, there's a kind of elite participation thing, right? That, like, you have to be comfortable enough to work for free um, on the weekends or, uh, you know, you have to be... Um, in a position where you can kind of farm for clout to get to get into the kind of uh, inner inner circles of these projects and so on, um, which has its own it de definitely has its own kind of like uh, el elite artisanal sort of dynamic. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, uh, yeah, it's 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 quite exclusive uh, for sure, um, uh, and and uh, so article goes on to say quite well uh the free software movement was on occasion writing actually good software corporations saw that and wanted to get in on it without actually having to have principles so they embraced the nominal goals of the free software movement and extended it into a more corporate friendly movement with a larger pile of software to draw from the conventional step after embrace and extend is naturally extinguish the free software movement died long ago in no small part due to its own mistakes, so there's not much left to extinguish. That which is being extinguished, that which died with Mozilla, is the idea that the open source movement could have any other principles than corporate exploitation. 
I wouldn't say that the corporate uh, the that the open source movement died per se. It was undead from the moment it began. It won, and with its victory, it has stopped pretending to be anything other than a lich. The only meaningful lesson to draw from the open source movement is that letting corporations do whatever the hell they want ends poorly, which is not exactly news. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. Hmm. What a what a downer. <laughs> this is a, this is a fucking great article, actually. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like looking back on uh, maybe it's like a lot. Some of the rest of the article is about um, you know, it's like this licensing and maybe what what kind of um. What kind of options are there? Like, what's what's on the table now for like attempts at fixing the stuff, like in the post open source world or whatever? And there's there's a couple of attempts at like ethical stuff, and there's like a Hippocratic license and stuff like that. But it's all kind of like ultimately trying to trying to trick corporations into binding their own hands. It doesn't seem to work. Plus, like all of this seems to be a I, I think maybe at its core, it's ultimately misguided, right? Trying to do, like, distributional um, licensing solutions to what is ultimately a production and labor problem. Um, and looking back, or e- and even looking forward, I'm kind of finding it hard to imagine what could work sh- short of, like, challenging the capitalist system, you know? I don't know. Right. Uh, you know, the, the question is, like, can there be any form of this that is a challenge to the capitalist system? Uh, you know, the uh, the GPL3 challenging capital uh, was, in retrospect, suicidal. Uh, and that wasn't even a very direct challenge. You know, um, I think they have a line in here about like, um, like, uh, like, like what they tried to do with that. Like, don't, don't try, don't, don't scare away the prey immediately by threatening them with more serious litigation and like weirder ways of enforcing things. Like, there's there's references here to these like um, variants on the JSON license, which is a it's a funny license because it's basically um, the MIT license but with an added line saying that the software shall be used for good, not evil. Um, which is fucking hilarious. But like IBM actually paid the author of the of the of the JSON standard for permission to do evil with the software. So there's these variations on like um, ethical enforcement sort of things and like, oh we'll we'll decide when you're in violation. And it's like nobody's gonna fucking take it. They're just gonna do their own thing. Like nobody's gonna sign themselves up to be fucked like that. It's it, you're not gonna snare them if you scare them away before they even get to the trap. You know? Yeah, and and uh, you know this this model of like uh, pay to do evil uh, is 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 essentially the model of buying indulgences from the Catholic Church. The trouble is, coders are not the Catholic Church. They don't have that kind of uh, they don't have that kind of power monopoly that where it's like, oh yeah, you know, you're going to hell, or you're going to get ex- excommunicated if you don't buy these indulgences from us. Uh uh so like it's uh I don't know. I mean, you know, socialists have done weird things in the past to try to get ahead like uh robbing banks or uh running drugs. Selling indulgences to software companies, you know, is is no less strange uh, than those things. Uh, 
I don't know how effective it'll be, but <laughs> it's an yeah. idea. There, there are there are also references here to um, basically using kind of patron licenses, where like the, the the default sort of license is like, hey, look, it's it's free to use if you're not using it commercially, but if you are using it, using it commercially, it's 10 bucks a month or whatever. Um, and it's kind of the Patreon model. I could imagine that maybe working out um, and that would um, close the gap on, you know, like it's it's the, it's the labor and production stuff, right? Like you, you kind of have to get fucking paid to do the stuff and like attending a commons isn't, you know, it, it can't be free. You have to feed yourself. Um, so there is, there has been like reassuring movement towards taking this more seriously um, and thinking about, look, how, how do we really support and make, make this stuff sustainable? Um, and like a patron model, some sort of like basically like subscription model seems to be a way to do it. Um, that doesn't rely on the software being always like a, a project of a much larger company that can afford to put some people on the job and to, to tend to it. Um, so, you know, shrug, there's there's that. Um, yeah, so there, for example, is the Prosperity License version of License Zero. Yeah. See, you've got, like, dual licenses. It's like Parity and Prosperity or whatever. And it's kind of like a public, private-public license, whatever, where... Uh, well, par Parity is... Uh, Parity License is essentially just open source, right? The prosperity license uh, allows any use as long as it is not commercial in nature. As such, it technically doesn't satisfy the open source definition and is thus, in a very concrete sense, a post-open source license. Uh, their Patreon license, uh, which I imagine is being changed because, you know... They can't use the name of Patreon <laughs> in their license, uh, which isn't linked on their homepage at all, grants an automatic license exception for certain financial supporters. Oh, I guess this is like the license being used on Patreon. Um, yeah, so um, another idea is to rely on norms instead of licenses. So uh, uh, they say uh, a license is a tool of the law, but the law is not actually very good at delineating the exact boundaries of ethical behavior in either direction. As such, uh, the approach uh, Louis, uh, Louis Villa, uh, sorry, Louis Villa uh, describes is to tell the law to mind its own damn business and use a maximally permissive license and then use social norms to delineate what behavior you do and do not find acceptable. So this is kind of similar to like uh, what has happened at the major tech firms uh, with uh, what we were, what we were talking about with like the tech lash and and like saying like no we're not going to uh, we're not going to code for ICE, right? Like those kind of uh, corporate guild norms. Uh, to to try to police the use of code. Um, uh, so uh, norms are tough to start from scratch, but sociologically they can fill a similar role in principle to laws while maintaining flexibility. I'm not sure what a normative approach to post open source software would look like. I'm not aware of anyone attempting to implement it, and I'm not sure I'm ready to be the first. 
but it would most likely it would combine uh, the uh, WTFP, which is the I believe that is the do whatever the fuck you want <laughs> uh, public license, license uh, and, or more pl- plausibly zero clause BSD. Uh, zero clause BSD is the like maximally permissive license, right? Mm-hmm. It's basically a non-license, but like without actually being unlicensed. Uh, yeah, it's it's like it's not just uh, relying on your naturally given copyright uh, with no license whatsoever. So you can't actually like let other people use it without them getting your explicit permission. Um, uh, with an ecosystem of standard sets of norms similar to the current varieties and codes of conduct. Um, so, yeah, again, basically like craft unionism of a sort uh, is, is the, the proposal there. Um, and, uh, yeah, those are kind of the two things we come away with, right, is like some kind of uh, indulgences model – some kind of like Patreon dual license model uh, or a uh, norm-based craft unionist model. Yeah, I think that the latter ones seem, it's kind of hard to imagine how they would stand up without like significant labor organizing. Like you would have to get towards having craft union sort of levels of organizing. Because how do you, how do you enforce norms? It kind of reminds me of uh, what was that we covered previously? The uh, that plan uh, in Britain, the Lucas plan. Yeah, the Lucas plan, where which was kind of that kind of like craft unionist thing. Like we're not going to make weapons to kill fellow workers, right? Like this, this uh, 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 like. As a group, we are deciding this is a norm and we will not cross it. And that requires group corporate organization. When I say corporate, I don't mean corporations. I mean as like a guild or as a uh, as, as a union of mm-hmm. some kind. Collective body. Yeah. Yeah. Collective body. Yeah. And and the, the former of the kind of solutions as well, I think seems plausible for like smaller like single maintainers whatever and like notably github has introduced a sort of like sponsorship feature for profiles so um if you're the author of a you know fairly popular repository on there people can chuck you like it's a sort of micro patreon it's like a stripped down patreon feature built into github so i I think maybe there's there's a recognition even amongst the the capitalists that like Maybe they maybe they're pushing it a bit far with the like you know difficulty of keeping maintainers alive you know um, like what what was that thing in like England where the the sort of bourgeoisie realized that like suddenly the uh, the proletariat were dying faster than they were being born <laughs> you know they were like oh shit we better ease off on this stuff because we're going to be in big fucking trouble if everyone dies you know that was the the impetus between behind coming up with the poor laws right yeah something like that but like the, the, one of these inflection points where maybe the the bourgeoisie or whatever the, the capitals involved in this kind of realize they might have pushed it a bit far and like make some sort of concession or set up something that can like make it a little bit easier on the people they're exploiting or the make it easier to keep that uh, keep the cheapness cheap, you know, to, to put it in those kind of more terms. Because if, if, if a bunch of maintainers burn out 
and fucking disappear, that shit's going to get expensive very fucking quickly. Like we saw with the, the various bugs in the SSL libraries that like it turned out those were being maintained by one or two people. And suddenly everyone was shitting themselves going, oh, no, fuck, hold on. We, we, we got to we got to finally maybe start paying this guy to, to do the things, because uh, if we don't, the Internet stops working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a world scale infrastructure piece of infrastructure that's being maintained by some guy who is being criminally underpaid. Uh, so, um, you know, I guess what this says is like we've kind of talked in the past about industrial unionism in tech, and I could see a norms based approach uh, figuring into that quite heavily because it's it sort of already has in a way. Uh but um, maybe that needs to be a more uh, conscious articulation. Um, and then at the individual level, I mean, I guess you can at least probably extract some rents from capital who are themselves pretty much like in the tech sphere, rentiers. Like you can get rent from the renters, <laughs> uh, from the rentiers uh, by, by doing some kind of Patreon deal. Um, so I think that the, the, the former maybe has more legs as a organizing strategy against capitalism. Uh, whereas the sort of like, I'm going to do a Patreon is the keep yourself alive, (laughs) uh, uh, dimension of this. Uh, (laughs) as, As someone who's put a fair bit of effort over the years into, um, kind of personal open source projects and like making very occasional contributions to 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 kind of other people's projects i i now find it hard to imagine that i would do something similar again of like just being like oh here's here's this thing i spent quite a bit of time on i'm throwing it over the wall with no strings attached i think at a minimum i would you know put a patreon thing on for some of them um probably have no way to ever enforce it but whatever um and you know, I think I, I still get bitten by that occasional itch to, like, do a little bit of hobby coding, but I think I would now be more inclined to, you know, contribute to something like Emacs, the the, the, the editor, like, the core of that to, like, help with its maintenance rather than, you know, anything that uh, would be, like, just, the, oh, here's, here's a thing I wrote that's actually quite useful and I'm throwing it over the walls so that anyone can, including any fucking company, can just uh, just use it to to make their lives easier. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and to be clear, like, Emacs is still serving capital, right? Like, that, that, is, that is being used by coders in capitalist mm-hmm. firms to do their work. Yeah. Uh, but that's just kind of like a matter of personal aesthetic preference. Like, this is, a, this is a tool that I use and respect, and therefore I would like to contribute to it. Yeah, maybe that just it just says a lot about the the degree of disillusionment, right? Like, because um, I, I do feel very disillusioned with all this, this kind of stuff now. And maybe maybe having spent the last three years reading a lot of Marxist material in depth has uh, contributed to that disillusionment quite a bit. But like, even at the level of like being someone who enjoys, like I, I enjoy programming. Like it's a fun little thing to do. I kind of sort of like the work as well. Sometimes um, there are there are certainly moments of of joy in it. Uh, but that, that disillusionment is pretty deep at this point as well of like, yeah, geez, like I just, the, the thought of slugging it out on, um, yet another, uh, li- open source library, or whatever, just, to just have it kind of like get hoovered into the machine of capital and, uh, used, used for whatever, whatever purposes they want to do. 
is uh, is is harder to harder to really stomach. Whereas, you know, and the, the only the only thing that the only the only thing that I can imagine dedicating a lot of time to uh, would be maintenance of Emacs or some or Vim or something like that, uh, which would be it's it's still serving capital, but is 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 maybe you know marginally more acceptable than the others. Right. I mean, it's it's acceptable for kind of like aesthetic as opposed to strategic reasons. Uh, okay. Well, I'm going to read out the conclusion of this article because it's pretty good. So uh, it says, uh, "Foss is dead." Free software died long ago, and open source software was a lich the whole time, only now claiming victory and beginning to pull up the ladder behind it. What will come next? I can't predict every aspect of the post-open source movement, but I can tell you one thing. It'll absolutely require if it's going to be meaningful. What really killed Mozilla? What really killed free software? What really gave us the already dead open source movement? Optimizing for profit at the expense of any other consideration. Chasing short-term gains and ignoring long-term sustainability or justice. Squeezing every drop of surplus value out of every person within reach and putting it in the hands of a dozen investors and overpaid executives. In a word, capitalism. If post-open source wants to not die the same death, it will need to explicitly and aggressively fight its greatest existential threat. So, you know, the, the point here is, if we want to have a political movement as a group of workers, right, as, as coders, or, or a political movement that is inspired by aesthetic ideals like you might see with, you know, contributing to Emacs or Vim, we pretty much have to explicitly and aggressively fight capitalism because our, you know, this is like something that Feinberg talks about a lot. Our aesthetic ideals are imperiled by the imperatives of capitalism. Even that, even that thing that is, is, is quote unquote extra economic because capital doesn't care about it, uh, is imperiled. Mm-hmm. Cause it imperils everything at one point yeah. or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it imperils all life, literally. <laughs> yeah. And this stuff is explicitly part of the technical code, right? Like the, if we, to go back to Feinberg, right? This is, it's even worse for that. It's not just basket weaving, which gets ruined because capital. It's like, well, this, this is basket weaving in capital. <laughs> like it's, it's a coding is, is scripting of capital in some sort of way as well. So it's, it's even more vulnerable to these problems. Um, I like, I like this conclusion. I feel like this is almost the, it's the end of a Scooby-Doo episode where they pull off the mask and it was the value form all along, you know? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's every episode is the same. You know, they've got like a musical interlude where they're just like going around like problem after problem. And like every time they pull off the mask, it's the value form. <laughs> the value form again. <laughs> would have gotten away um, with it too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it. <laughs> Word for you, stinking communists. Exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck. What does it say that no matter how many times they unmask the value form, it's it's back in the next episode? Um I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's that. Like, I feel <laughs> like that's it's it's kind of like what it's like to be a liberal sociologist or something. Like you, you just go and like unmask it, and you're like, well, yeah, but I want like an isolated program, a problem I can deal with. 
you know, on to the next one. Oh, the volume form again. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see um, the sort of remnants of, or, or some, some break off from the FOSS thing, uh, try to reconstitute a, a sort of post-open source that's either either some sort of like labor activism based or, or at the very least trying to get some kind of compensation for the work performed but um yeah wow what a what a fucking what an end of an era this is this is remarkable really remarkable time um and to yeah all that all that sort of crazy silicon valley optimism being wandered through mozilla and just kind of going nowhere fucking crazy you know mozilla's dead the bay area is on fire uh, no one could breathe. Uh, oh wow! Uh, yeah, that's happening too. You know, hell. Uh, people are fleeing Silicon Valley, but then getting paid cut rates because they're not living in Silicon Valley. Because like capital's like, well, I've got to pay the cost of your reproduction. Not, uh, I'm not obviously not going to pay you uh, the the entirety of the value of your product. Um, uh, so it's a dire uh, situation, to say the least. You know, people are saying now that, like, oh, yeah, just like apocalyptic hellfires are just going to be an annual occurrence in California for the foreseeable future. And uh, and in retrospect, 2020s hellfires around <laughs> around the Golden Gate Bridge are going to seem quaint, is what people are saying. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, you know, Silicon Valley literally burning to the ground um, around us, and its ideals are dead and uh, become nothing more than the uh, possession of a lich. So, um... Rip in peace, Silicon Valley. We may need to reorient our efforts, comrades. <laughs> we do, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be fun to see that unfold. Um, I, I do hope it takes the form of proper, proper organizing and realizing this is all this is all labor and production stuff. It's there's nothing special about this computer stuff. It's um, good old fashioned alienated labor. Um, yeah, so. I mean it's 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 good and well to have aesthetic investment in your particular form of work uh but you need to i mean i think it should be obvious that that form of work is not in fact different in kind from others because it's still socially necessary labor time that you're putting in right the use value of it is distinct but the exchange value is commensurable with any other exchange value because it is a commodity and that's what capitalism is all about you know it doesn't respect the particularity of your labor no totally but like so much of that so much of that has been laundered through basically sci-fi shit more or less like that like because computers are sci-fi like it seemed to to a couple of generations of programmers end to end as if it was different somehow it's like oh no this is the shit they do on star trek i'm different i'm cool well yeah and also it was like uh it was a it was a form of labor that had a, uh, that afforded a premium premium price. You could sell your labor for a premium, so you know because because of the use values involved, right? For a while until eventually you use capital smooths out the kinks, 
in the process, and then you're just another worker. Yeah, uh, like the like the process described in Marx and Nature, right? Like with the sort of um, capital settling in place and intensifying, and then spreading, and to settle down somewhere else and intensifying. It's like once once it burns through one one region, it'll just fucking move somewhere else. Like so, like um, yeah, I mean, so like for the for the folks in Silicon Valley who get to go remote, right? They get to move somewhere else. It's like okay, cool. You know, you get to live somewhere a bit cheaper, but then your your wage is going to get cut. Okay. And now you're up against every motherfucker in the the whole continent, like for the same work. It's ah, geez, you you can't win you, you can't win against capital without actually challenging it, you know? Yeah. What it, what is it gonna like? You know, what is the corporate struggle, the 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 guild struggle of coders against uh, uh, technical visas gonna do when remote working is the norm, right? What the fuck good is that gonna do you? Some big transformations uh, coming. In that whole and and, and I, I I I don't say this to gloat because you know I work in education and Google just started a program that they say they will uh, recognize as equivalent to a university degree. Uh, so basically, the writing's on the wall for higher ed. Like you know, it it's like the the veil of uh, sort of like the peculiarity and the prestige of the university is getting uh, torn off and uh, the corporatized university is just going to be supplanted by a corporation. You know, it's just going to be purely corporate education uh, in even a, even a way that uh, all the pretenses of higher ed uh, will not uh, be present in. And the, the, the research stuff will be replaced by, um, all the all the sort of like open open research stuff, right? Like where they're they're just like this this is already a thing that's kind of going. Where like um, you have these like uh, movements to basically create a similar ethos to open source in sciences and like any any kind of thing that does depend on research. And that's just that's just going to get transplanted into whatever private research institutes are there. Right, and I I, I mean the universities are going to continue to do research because they get funding from the state. Right. Like, obviously, capital's still going to take advantage of state funding. But the thing they've been doing of higher education, it's just it's going to be a shadow of what it was, you know. Indeed. Ah, fuck. Does not bode well for folks like myself. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's looking grim. It's looking much more precarious uh, these days than it did a while ago, you know, def definitely feeling that that the the general slide towards precarity. And it's like, yeah, we've we've got a pretty, you know, as a as a programmer, got a fairly comfortable sort of position for the moment. But more and more, more and more becoming obvious that it's very much for the moment. And uh, those those days are numbered. It seems. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Downer ending. I love it. Well, I mean, you know, the the point that I've brought up previously about coders occupying a place in communication networks that is potentially powerful to uh, turn against capital is still true, but the organizing has to happen uh, to actually turn that into a weapon against capital. Because, you know, time's up on we're going to build a craft union and then improve our working conditions. Like, that is a thing that we need to, like, we need to think about working conditions as being relevant. They're never going to not be relevant. But 
I mean, it is like literally the end of the fucking world out here. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like we don't have any time to do capitalist solutions or capitalist accommodations. It, like we've we've got to make something happen because, uh, like, it's all it's all going down. Yeah, you know, absolutely. this is twenty twenty, folks. We do live in the end times. Spending twenty years trying to fucking trick corporations into doing the right thing through a license. It seems fucking comical, like really, truly comical in retrospect. <laughs> oh fuck! What a what a what a world! I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, the author says it here. Uh, you know, first the 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 free software was the tragedy, and then open source was the farce. Mm, in reference to some German guy you might have heard of. Yeah, some smart German guy. Yeah, that's the it's the sort of fucking tragedy of a lot of this is that like. Oh, hey, you know, this this shit about, like, you know, labor and production and capital and all that sort of stuff, you know? wonder if there might have been something we could have just looked up before, you know, and read about to maybe, you know, prime prime the pump to understand some of this stuff. You know, it's, it's almost as if it's almost as if this might have been covered somewhere else previously, you know? Maybe tech isn't unique. Maybe computer science isn't fucking special. Maybe it is still, you know, under the umbrella of human endeavor and therefore... All of these, you know, quote, humanities studies, all these fucking snowflakes, maybe they have something to say about it all, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I think that the 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 persistent delusion for the the stock trader or the capitalist is this time it's different, right? The the Dow really is gonna hit whatever it is, 10 billion <laughs> this time, or you know, um. it like uh, we really have decoupled. Right. Like the decoupling, the decoupling shit is already uh, in the discourse right now. You know, when people talk about trading, they're like, oh, yeah, like, you know, it's just Amazon's making infinite money while people are fucking starving on the street and committing suicide at record rates. Uh, uh, and, and, and Silicon Valley itself is on fire and the Pacific Northwest is choked in a death fog. Like, it's fine because decoupling, right? Like that 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 is just like inherent to the stock market. Uh, and it's like a thing Marx talks about in volume three. It's is never stopped being true. That that delusion will will arise. Uh, and in, in in labor markets, it's the same sort of delusion, but what you get is that, oh no, my industry is different. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're special, yeah. I, I, I'm a technical person. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a sheeple, you know. Uh, I, 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 and therefore, I'm a libertarian. Right? Uh, <laughs> it's a so, socio-cognitive aneurysm, you know. And just fucking completely decouples sense from motor. <laughs> it just allows it to all spin freely. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it is. It is. It is. You know, capital engages in a lot of short-term thinking, and and that leads it to disastrous ends. But as individuals, we also have a predilection to short-term thinking when the gains are very obvious. And I think that that's what we can see in the history of, of the, the work of software engineers, right, as a, as a group is, well, it's easy to believe you're different when you're making bank and you're doing 
this, you know, high-minded aesthetic work on the the, the information uh, frontier, uh, whereas, you know, your family members back home are struggling to survive making minimum wage and dealing with social collapse, right? Like, it's... <sighs> It's easy to fall into that fallacy when there are things that strongly encourage it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, def- I definitely recognize it even in myself, like, years ago. It's just like, and looking back, it's like, holy shit, like, oh, yeah, it's... One asks the question of, like, how does one ever believe that kind of shit? But yeah, it's there's completely explicable, you know, explanations for why, why one would start to believe that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's like, no, folks... We're not special. There's nothing fucking unique about this stuff. It's labor. It's society. It's fucking politics, as it always has been. Um, and there's there's nothing nothing unusual about this. It's the good old fashioned struggle. Um, and but maybe well, the new the new situation is that the clock is ticking faster than ever, <laughs> and it's very very close to midnight. Um, so yeah, maybe we need like a climate doomsday clock. Or it's just like, you know, one second to midnight. I think, ah, uh, <laughs> it'd be like, I don't know, it'd be some sort of weird Zeno's clock where it's like perpetually hovering both between and on top of midnight. <laughs> it's asymptotically reaches oblivion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Oh, Christ. Um, I guess, I guess that's a decent segue into the, uh, <laughs> our kind of, we'll do a sort of short uh, state of the unit um, address, uh, kind of, because it's, it's been a hell of a year. It's been fucking crazy. <laughs> And uh, I'm feeling tired, you know, <laughs> pretty fucking tired. <laughs> we st- we still got, you know, three months to go, baby. Hard uh, to imagine that 2020. It's, it, like, it's hard to imagine that there will be three more months. <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe uh, someone I uh, was listening to yesterday said it well that uh, uh, time moves strangely in Lordran. Mm-hmm. Um, it does, right? Uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely it's it's been fucking wild i think um like i, th- I think we, we've both been kind of feeling the burnout a little bit not so much for the show specifically or anything like that but like just life stuff and like pandemic stuff like it's earlier in the pandemic like in march was weirdly easier than this this last month or two has been just like depletion i've found at least um all, all the reserves are kind of worn down. It's like, wow, fucking hell. And, oh, geez, I think this week we're going to get new lockdowns probably in uh, in, in Britain. Yeah, so in the UK, right? Cool and good, you know? It's going to be fucking amazing. Ah, uh, cool. Uh, good. So, um, I don't know. Like, I, I def- like for the listeners, I, I absolutely appreciate the support. Over the- this has been a good year for the community. Uh, we've had a great time with the Brain of the Firm reading group. It's been it's been really strong year for the show. Um and I think we've we've probably put out some of our better content as well. We've had some really fucking great times on these episodes. Um, uh, but I think, uh, uh, it'll, of course, it'll be a couple of weeks before this thing actually comes out. But we're we're, we're going to take a bit of a break from recording for a month or two and um, reconstitute ourselves. And uh, I think that the brain of the firm reading groups will trickle out. Um, so there'll all, there'll be content, but um, might be a tiny slowdown in production stuff. Um, and I think we're, we may have some tantalizing hints of possible interviews to come, but, uh, we're looking to do a slightly longer mini series project when we get back, uh, as a bit of a palate cleanser and to 
to, to dedicate some time to something that we think is really worth examining, we're going to be playing a game called Kentucky Route Zero, which is possibly my favorite ever piece of media, like ever of any format by a long stretch. It's it's fucking remarkable. Um, it has it's a it's a it's a narrative game. It's a clicky talky perhaps. Um, uh, it's beautiful. It's really lovely to look at the the music. The composition of the whole thing is amazing, and it has a lot to say about labor and life and precarity. Um, and we're we're going to spend probably probably five episodes on it because it's it's a it's an episodic uh, game that was released in it was released in five episodes over the course of eight years maybe um, I think the final part came out this year or no it, the final part came out last year last November maybe time moves strangely in Lordred time moves strangely on the zero <laughs> yes um, yeah oh yeah oh yeah baby <laughs> time, time doesn't move strangely on the zero at all because that, that game takes place over the course of one night and one day doesn't it the whole all the whole thing so it, it took them eight years to get through a night and a day um, in in game time yeah it's um so regardless like it is it is recent that it was completed um and it is astonishing i keep thinking about it all the fucking time it is amazing stuff um yeah i i think uh i don't know if it's my favorite piece of media ever but it is tremendously good and uh as someone who's doing doctoral research into uh utopias in games um it's it's really one of the standouts um, it really is. And so uh, I am excited to revisit it. I think it is tremendous. It is... I played some very good games this year, but I think it is the best game I've played this year. You know, even... I would I would rank it even above uh, Outer Wilds, which is another very, very good game. Um, it's... Uh, oh, boy. It's, 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 it's truly amazing. So we're giving you a bit of a heads up on this. Um, because if if you want to play it, I kind of would recommend having a go at it before we get to those episodes, because it's it's a it, it's a it's a narrative game that involves the player a lot in selecting dialogue and selecting backstories for the characters. There's a lot of like player involvement in in the things. So there's no there's no like puzzling or platforming challenges or any of that kind of stuff. But you you are very much drawn into it, and it'd kind of be a shame to go through it. Um, having having been been spoiled on some of the stuff basically i think it it is one of the few things i would i would actually kind of strongly recommend going in fresh and just just enjoying it yourself uh without knowing very much about it um and then coming out the other side to 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 hear us talk about it so you're go- by the time you hear this you're going to have months conservatively uh to to get that down and also like i don't know how long is it it's like maybe 8 hours 9 hours yeah, I, w- I would say eight to ten, uh, because the the interstitials between the chapters are actually quite substantial. Uh, it took me, I believe, three evenings to get through. Okay, that sounds about right. <laughs> it took me, I don't know, five or six evenings spread over eight years <laughs> to get through. <laughs> but I, I did, I did replay it all in all in a one-er when when the final episode came out. Um, so that that would have been a couple of evenings. I, I played the first the first episode when it came out at first, and then I waited, and so I, then I did a a, a front to back. Uh, 
just like three nights in a row. I uh, I like a fool played it immediately like the first episode when it came out and then like with bated breath i waited for every fucking episode <laughs> and i was i would like check the website religiously like every, at least once a month i would go there and be disappointed that there wasn't a new episode out <laughs> i was waiting a long time for that yeah um but uh certainly would recommend that people go uh front to back through it um as 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 densely as possible uh, because it is, as you said, like a a uh, night to morning uh, story, um, and uh, it is very uh, emotionally intense. And I think you get the full impact going front to back in a short period of time, because uh, you're really taken on a journey with these characters. Uh, through the the depths of post-industrial capitalism uh, <laughs> and out the other end. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe one tiny hint for, for listeners who intend to play this as well is that I think the first two episodes can be completed in one sitting each. Um, they're, they're pretty tasty little nuggets. They're not terribly long. Episodes three and four are quite a bit longer and I think my first time playing through those I kind of I tried to do them in one sitting each and I it's a bit of a rush and you'll you'll end up getting a bit a bit annoyed well I I found myself getting a bit annoyed at the length which is the wrong way to experience that material so when it comes to 3 and 4 maybe split them up into two sittings each and then do do the fifth episode in one sitting because it's relatively short um but you know Ah, wow, what a, what a fucking game. Um, so I'm really looking forward to spending a bit of time camping out on that while we, like, sort of reconstitute ourselves for next year's kind of seasons um, and uh, plan out what we're going to read. Um, but, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a change of pace. I hope it'll be an enjoyable change of pace. Um, I think we could, we as people could do with a change of pace after Hell Year, um, which is almost certainly going to get more hellish, but um. Yeah, I mean, it, the calendar is real, but I don't expect a change in twenty twenty one. It's just, you know, every year since I think like twenty sixteen has just been people like, oh, twenty sixteen, oh, twenty seventeen, oh, twenty eighteen, oh, twenty nineteen, oh, twenty twenty, uh, but it's still. It's still useful to maintain a semblance of schedule and chronological meaning to your life, even if we are unstuck in time. Yeah. <laughs> Pretend that there's an anchor, you know, at least. Um. Yeah, like finding anchors for yourself. Um, like for myself, I'm ramping up my doctoral work right now. And that means uh, uh, taking a different, di different tack with GIU. Uh, not to stop work, but to just move into a different mode. And sometimes just being able to move into a different mode is a luxury. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, like a, a, ch a change. What's that? That's trying to like a, a change is as good as a rest or something. Um, yeah, I guess like to probably just to reassure like listeners, like that this remains an, an incredible project for us. Um, oh yeah, like this is this is absolutely core in importance to me. Uh, when I say moving into a different mode, I don't mean downgrading. I just mean well, we're gonna do we're gonna do a a very uh, a relatively short game and cover it in exhaustive detail 
instead of uh, a very long book that we summarize, you know? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the payoff for some of those books is kind of pretty poor in terms of minutes of recording but um and and also like i mean i think we we kind of need to rest for a month or two as well and um we would we would we would rather slow things down than than stop right that's that's the general reassurance here is that we absolutely we don't intend to stop the show at all it's we're, we're just probably going to need to go a little bit easier on ourselves in the back half of the year because it's winter as well and we're we're sad people you know <laughs> so uh winter is going to be hard <laughs> yeah we we live in the far northern hemisphere and winter is a grind at the best of times. Uh, and, you know, these ain't the best of times. Winter in Hell World is even worse, yeah. I, there was there was a point a couple of weeks ago where I was just like, I was just walking along and I was like, oh, I feel like shit suddenly. And it's like, oh, the, we- the weather has changed. It's just like that almost imperceptible, mm-hmm. imperceptible turn in the air. And it's like, oh, now it's, now it's, now it's time for sadness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. So yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna try to look after ourselves and um, prepare some excellent content, um, and and you know the, the 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 reading groups are they're fucking excellent. We're we're getting towards the end of Brain of the Firm. Those episodes will those those sessions being released on the feed will trickle out for quite a while now. So you'll you'll never be short of of uh, our, our voices. Yeah, I I expect we'll finish the reading group readings like the actual activity by the end of the year but the episodes are probably going to be coming into next year and uh you know we'll, we'll try to keep those as a fairly regular feature as well we'll obviously take a break after from those after that uh series is finished but um we'll we'll plan something else as well we've we've, we've got plans for great content it's just uh we kind of need to rest as well um and we encourage everyone to take the time they need to rest also because uh yeah, we're 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 in it for the fucking long haul with this stuff. Like, um, there's there doesn't seem to be anything, anything reassuring on the horizon, and it just means that we're gonna have to be organized. We're gonna have to be, kind of in in it for for the marathon when it comes to organizing, right? Um, and you know, really really build ourselves up, build our communities up, um, build that muscle up, and uh, and stick to it for the for the long haul, which necessitates taking care of yourself. And also, you know, take care of yourselves in terms of, like, not just fucking doom scrolling on Twitter and stuff. It's like, you know, if that's... That's probably the best thing I've ever done for myself is delete fucking Twitter off my phone and, like, not check it very often. Um, you know, it's... You're going to have a hard time if you're uh, if you're sinking into that kind of stuff too regularly. So, uh, you know, try try to stay healthy, folks. Try to stay... Uh, try to stay good. Um, oh, fuck. What else? Uh, uh, read out. Um, Twitter, etc. Facebook. Patreon, go there. Um, give us a couple of bucks. Get on the, the Discord. It's really good stuff. Um, and check out the Emancipation Network. Uh, our, our, our other shows. Um, I think I think Mortal Science are ramping up to release another episode soon, which will be fucking great. Um, they're, they've, they've, that's turned out to be a really great show. I need to I need to like re-download all of the episodes and listen to them back to back again to to redigest them. Um, that's uh, that's turned out to be a real sleeper hit. There's some real fabulous stuff in that uh, in that show. Yes, um, and uh, we are actually finishing the Brumera reading series from Alpha to Omega. Um, the last chapter is like considerably more substantial than <laughs> I remembered it being. Uh, I think uh, there's there's ways in which like the division between town and country. I think the first time I read the text didn't seem as important to me as they do now, you know, both with the way politics are going 
but also um, having read like Marx and Nature, right, and and the emphasis that that book puts on the division between town and country, um, it's interesting to read Marx's comments on uh, on that in the final chapter of the Brumaire. Um, so uh, yeah, might take some time to to finish, uh, hopefully in the next month, but. Uh, <laughs> It's going on, yeah. and uh, I'm sure Tom will edit it down to something uh, digestible as opposed to our ramblings, which you get on the live stream. Tom's quite good at the editing, stream. isn't he? He's quite good. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But anyway, thanks, listeners. It's wonderful as always, and um, we will be back relatively soon with some more uh, more tasty content. But in the meantime, do, do take care of yourselves. Um, yes. Yeah. Bye-bye. We'll catch you again soon. Bye.